from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut. Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Ridiculous News is a production of iHeartRadio and Cool 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 Audio. With amazing and crazy topics to pick and to choose, you are now tuned in to Ridiculous News. With interesting views on breaking the rules of broadcasting and all sorts of wild reports to keep us laughing. With funny, off-brand, upbeat journalism, the strange and unusual stories of what we give them. When it's all about ridiculous news everywhere, we talking about ridiculous news over here. Hey everyone, welcome to Ridiculous News, not your average news show. We cover stuff you didn't realize was news, from the wild and funny, to the deep and hidden, to the absolutely ridiculous. I'm Bill Worley, an Atlanta-based filmmaker and comedian, and I love museums. And uh, one of my favorite museum experiences was I was in the Musée d'Orsay in Paris, and I'd always seen Impressionism in art books and posters. And that Impressionist wing with Monet and Van Gogh and all of that literally changed my life. It was such an amazing experience going through and seeing those paintings in person. Um, And museums, thank you for existing. Thank you for changing lives. Yeah, I got to second that, Bill. Um, I'm my, my name is Mark Kendall. I'm an Atlanta-based uh, comedian. And, you know, what I really love about going to museums or anywhere where there's art is I love how a piece of art uh, not only has the ability to change how I see the world, but also how I see uh, myself. And I feel like that will come up some in the discussion that we have today. Uh, today, really excited. It's a deep dive episode that we're doing about museums. Uh, so we're going to talk about some examples of uh, repatriation, uh, some ridiculous museums around the world, and uh, we're talking with an amazing artist, Dr. Fahamu Paku. And uh, it's so great to have him on the show. Uh, Dr. Fahamu Paku is an interdisciplinary artist and scholar whose works combine observations on hip-hop, fine art, and pop culture to address concerns around contemporary representations of Black men. And through paintings, performance art, and academic work, he confronts the performance of Black masculinity and Black identity, challenging and expanding the reading, performance, and expressions of Blackness. Uh, So it's a real treat uh, to welcome you to the show, Dr. Bahamu. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Every time I hear 
somebody read my bio, I'm like, that dude sounds interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed, absolutely. I mean, that, that's that's so many, uh, uh, such great work, you know, that that you do and, and have done for so long. And so uh, what we like to do whenever we have on a guest, uh, and we're excited to do with you, is a segment called Giving Them Their Flowers. So this is just around where we give you comments of things that we really admire about you. Uh, and I'll start off. Um, uh, one of my favorite pieces of work that you have done is the large piece that you have out front of the King Memorial uh, Marta Station uh, of a person floating up into the sky. And I saw an interview of you where you were talking about how that was inspired from an MLK quote, basically about transcending, uh, learning mm-hmm. how to get what I what I took from it was like you were looking at this quote from MLK about transcending being able to care and give to the greater good and when you do that you know you kind of reach this higher plane of existing was was how I kind of took your words how I took to understand your words and um and I I loved how uh you interpreted that through this large mural that's out front of this Marta station and it's just so striking and um something that I believe you also may have said in the interview is like you wanted people to be able to see themselves in the work mm-hmm. and i just thought that was really powerful and so thank you for creating that work um and then another thing that i wanted to say too was you know we had met briefly once before years ago and i just admire your sense of humor very much uh we were working together very briefly on a, a comedy um related project and your sense of humor your taste in comedy i think uh is really great so thank you for being here well, well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, you can blame it on the office. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, Dr. Palmer, thank you so much for being here. As Mark said, your art is incredible. The mission of your art is incredible. And I am just always excited to talk to artists who can live that dream and the way that utilizing your creativity creativity helps you in so other so many other aspects of your life is something we like to focus on on the show too to encourage people to create so when you see someone as prolific as you it's just encouraging to hear about what you're doing to see what you're doing and hopefully other folks will be inspired to access the creative part of their themselves as well Oh man, thank you. These 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 flowers are getting heavy. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it. that's it. That's all. That's all <laughs> you, but thank you so much for being on. No, no. Thank you guys for having me. This is you know it's really great, and uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm obviously really passionate about what I do and uh, why I do it. So you know it 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 still does like surprise me when people recognize me or you know come up to me in the grocery store to tell me that you know, a piece that I did really move them. And I'm like, oh, wow, let me put this box of cereal down and give you a hug. But, <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, it's it's an affirming uh, thing to know that what you are cre- creating and producing and putting out in the world has impact um, and positive impact at that. So I'm, I'm super grateful just to, to be able to call myself an artist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we're going to move on to our next segment of the podcast. This is called Ridiculous News Nibbles, but this is Museums Edition. So we found some quick, interesting headlines related to museums. And this first one I'm really excited to share with you also. Uh, the New York Times put out an article celebrating the birthday of a man who stole the Mona Lisa from the Louvre and took it uh, to Italy. So this person's name was Vincenzo Perugia, and they stole the Mona Lisa 
from France, and they kind of became a national hero in Italy when the piece went missing and was ultimately found that it had been taken back to Italy by this person. And so there's a quote that says, Grateful Italians embrace the hero thief as Italy's Don Quixote. R.A. Scotti wrote that in Vanished Smile, The Mysterious Theft of the Mona Lisa, which is a book. And so <laughs> the, the funny thing about the story kind of is this person apparently was a misguided uh, historian um, because the painting had been clearly and cleanly purchased by the king of France, uh, the country to which it was ultimately returned. Uh, but Perugia's caper is worth recalling at a time when repatriation remains a murky uh, battleground. Uh, and even now, the reason behind why this person chose to steal the Mona Lisa is kind of unproven. Uh, details of the spectacular theft are still kind of sketchy, uh, but uh, this much appears to be known. And again, this is from the New York Times. Uh, by the early 20th century, da Vinci's 1506 half-portrait of the Florentine noblewoman was already one of the most famous paintings uh, in the world. And it's kind of interesting the way they break down at least what they seem to know uh, about the robbery. So the day of the theft was August 21st, 1911. Uh, it was a Monday. And so the Louvre was closed for maintenance at the time. And so Perugia had either hidden overnight uh, or snuck in with other workers. Again, the details are kind of sketchy. And so when the guards assigned to the gallery were on their rounds or doubling as cleaners, uh, Perugia must have been alone or with accomplices, removed the 200-pound framed and glass-enclosed painting from the wall and lugged it into a stairway. And wow. he eventually got it out of the museum and uh, back to Italy. And this was over a period of time. And so I just thought that was kind of like a wild story and thought yeah. it was interesting. Dude must have been ripped. I mean, the thing that shows up... Yeah, I was about to say, was he a bodybuilder? (laughs) (laughs) Ripping it off the wall. I mean, honestly, one of the things that jumps out to me the most about the story is that the king of France, that France actually paid for the Mona Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was so surprised that they clearly and cleanly purchased it because I feel like so much stuff in the Louvre and a lot of museums has just been stolen or, you know, from around the world. So that was one thing I was like, oh, okay. I guess that's the one thing that (laughs) actually belong there you know i uh, i recently learned uh when i was in uh paris in june that beneath the louvre underground there are miles and miles and miles of art stored that oh, has wow. never even been on view like they just have so much art uh and you have to you know be a, a special level of um uh, you know, board member or supporter or something like that. And you can get a private tour of this multi-mile storage facility that is beneath the loop, which is already humongous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. But, uh, uh, I'm curious, um, what do you think of the Mona Lisa? That's such, a, it's such an interesting painting because you go and it's, uh, a little, you know, it's a small painting that's always surrounded by so many people, and it's flanked on the other side by this gorgeous, huge uh, <laughs> painting. <laughs> Same time frame, but what do you think it is about the Mona Lisa that has made it famous? Sometimes I feel like it's famous for being famous. I, I think that is exactly it, because it really is not very much to look at. Uh, and and within the Louvre alone, there are at least half a dozen other amazing paintings, you know, that no one ever really talks about. Uh, Right. Uh, you know, so like this idea of the 
the Mona Lisa, you know, again, it's, it's, it's kind of hype. Like, whoever was her marketing or street team, they got the goods. <laughs> they got the goods. They went to work. Yeah. Speaking of the uh, museum that actually has artwork, this is an interesting story about another museum that is not quite as um, artistically valuable, but there is a museum in Pittsburgh that is about moist towelettes. And this is from CBC Radio. And it started as a joke. It was a small collection of moist towelettes jammed into a box in an office drawer. And John French uh, said he and a friend were amazed at the strange collections he found online in the early days of the internet, but he couldn't find any moist towelette collections or websites. So disappointing. So he started one himself. He told his friend that I'm going to be the first one to have the most moist towelettes on the internet uh, and he is the founder of the moist towelette museum he never imagined his collection would grow to more than 1,000 and travel from pennsylvania to texas and then michigan with him gathering momentum he now actually runs this mini museum out of a corner of his office at the abrams planetarium in lansing michigan where he displays hundreds of individually wrapped moist towelettes <laughs> from every continent except antarctica sorry antarctica uh we got to work on getting you some moist towelettes uh, well, they, they would probably be frozen right right exactly <laughs> frozen towelettes uh that might actually hurt your skin or cut <laughs> your fingers um one thing that he wanted to say that I think is important is that he doesn't flush his towelettes. As we know, wet wipes have gained some infamy as environmentally unfriendly because they're advertised as flushable a lot of the time, but they actually end up clogging a lot of our water treatment and uh, sewage plants, among other things. So if you like moist towelettes, just do us a favor and don't flush them. Or maybe you can save and collect them and create your own moist towelette. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of uh, is 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 counter to the objective to have a bunch of used moist towelettes <laughs> yeah, on yeah, display. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to do the opposite of what we're hoping here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a whole different audience for that. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a very specific audience. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, y'all, this next story uh, relates directly to our guest. So, Dr. Fahamu, this is. Actually, uh, the next article we pulled was your WABE interview on City Lights. Uh, and the headline was African Diaspora Art Museum of Atlanta Showcases Contributions of Contemporary Black Artists. And so this is about you and the museum that you have started. And I just think it's so cool about how you have put this together um, in Atlanta. I'm, I'm just going to read a couple quotes from the uh, article itself. And so... Uh, a museum without walls exploring contemporary art and culture of the African diaspora. That's the mission of the African Diaspora Art Museum of Atlanta, or Adama. It hosts exhibitions, programs, and artist residencies aiming to educate and showcase the contributions of Black artists and thinkers uh, throughout the 21st century. And uh, there was a quote from you in the interview that I thought was especially interesting that I kind of just wanted to ask you more about, um, which is you said, um, while we have several spaces that are dedicated to civil rights history and African-American history, uh, they're all very much spaces of nostalgia. And I was asking the question of myself, what happens if we create a space that affirms us here in the present and into the future? What does that look like? And what does that say to young people growing up and trying to see images of, the, of themselves that affirm? And I felt that that also 
honestly tied into your piece at the King Memorial Martyr Station. Honestly, mm-hmm. like similar themes of the present and the future, thinking forward and people seeing themselves in the art. And I guess I just kind of wanted to ask you if you if you would be able to expand on that even more, if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, and I, I feel very strongly about the power of visual images to affirm and to elevate and uplift, right? Um, when I made that statement about the existing Black cultural institutions in the city, I was also really thinking very much about like the sort of resistance and objection that a lot of Black people feel about movies about enslavement, right? You know, every time, you know, they, they make a new movie, you, you, you see the litany of responses of people like, I'm not watching another slave movie. Why we got to have another slave movie, you know? And, uh, that idea for me is, is, is really, um, uh, important to, to unpack and to think about those types of images, including when we talk about the civil rights movement, often depict us in a position of powerlessness, hopelessness in some cases. It furthers the idea of violence on our bodies as being some sort of justification of our lower position in the world, et cetera. Um, and so there's a, a, a great deal of offense, I think, that a lot of people take to having those types of images constantly bombarding you, right? Um, and it's not to say that they're not important. It's not to say that they're not powerful in and of themselves because, you know, we, we have come a long way, right? But there, we're so much more than this trauma and pain that keeps being perpetuated um, as as being our narrative. Um, what are our other ways of being? What are our other ways of seeing? What are our other ways of experiencing the world? Um, and I think, you know, it becomes imperative for places like museums to establish a place for those kinds of experiences to occur. And so that's what Adama proposes to be. You know, I've also in my own personal practice been very, very cognizant about not depicting trauma or depicting black bodies in trauma, um, because that's not all of who we are. You know, um, I might allude to it, you know, in, you know, in a text or, you know, in the title of the piece, but you won't see that kind of physical violence happening to a body. And I think that's important, again, um, you know, just as a way of showing that there's other ways of being that there are other experiences that shape and make up who we are. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 
The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. With amazing and crazy topics for picking to choose, you are now tuned in to Ridiculous News. All right, so we're back uh, with our incredible guest, uh, Dr. Hamu, and, you know, we want to take the chance to talk to you more about Adama and uh, what it is. So could you tell us more about Adama and how it came about? Sure. Um, so Adama really sort of came out of of a, I'll, I'll call it a sickness that I have, um, where if I see something that I feel like can be fixed or something that needs to be resolved, rather than thinking somebody should do this, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to be like, I'm somebody, you know, and then I just kind of jump out there and, yeah. and, you know, try to try to do something. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, Adamo was really born out of an observation of uh, the kind of uh, creative output and Black visibility that exists here in the city of Atlanta. I'm very, very big on this notion of Black visibility. It's one of the reasons why I've rooted myself here in Atlanta and, and you know, uh, built my career here. It's because Atlanta is an incomparable muse when it comes to the Black experience. There's no really no other city in the country quite like Atlanta, where you have this level of, uh, again, Black visibility and mobility across all levels and classes and education and, you know, economic status and, you know, whatever, like open a new venue in Buckhead, open a new restaurant. And I guarantee you <laughs> it's packed with just as many black people as anybody else on any given night, you know, and there's, and there's something really affirming in that. When you go outside of Atlanta, you 20, 30 minutes outside of the city, you're quickly reminded that you're not in Atlanta anymore, right? Um, from the stares that you get from looking around the room and realizing, wow, I haven't seen another black person in three days. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it, it's, it's visceral. But anyway, uh, in my travels around the world, I've had opportunities to, you know, visit a number of uh, African diaspora places. And I'm always uh, reminded of, you know, the familial connections that exist. And it, it made me come up with this thing, everywhere we go, there we are, right? Uh, and I just started asking myself, like, in a city like Atlanta that touts itself as this Black Mecca, um, where we have all of this Black economic and political and educational professional success, why don't we have an institution that celebrates, you know, contemporary Black art and culture in a major, major way. Like, that, it's almost like a no-brainer. Like, why don't we have that? And so I had a conversation with a friend. I was like, man, I was thinking about, you know, trying to do a museum, uh, but not just an African-American museum, an African diaspora museum. And everyone that I shared this idea with was like, wait, they don't have that in Atlanta already? You know, and it, and it just really sort of started to snowball from there. But um, all that to say that, you know, it, it was really born out of necessity. Um, I, 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 I think on one hand, it's really um, frustrating and, and frankly, a, a bit disappointing uh, that we don't have more institutional diversity in a city like Atlanta. You know, every other major city has multiple museums. You know, if I'm Latin American, I can go to the Latin American museum. If I'm Jewish, I can go to the Jewish museum. You know what I mean? It's like you have all of these different spaces where people can go 
and find that affirmation, right, um, reflected in the art and culture and presentations, exhibitions that you find in those spaces. It's not a thing of competition or taken away from anybody else. It just it fully enhances everybody's experience. And so many people come to Atlanta and they say, yeah, Atlanta is the culture, the culture, the culture. But where do you actually go to experience it? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about that and this impact that you've been able to have, what are you most proud of, of the work that you've done so far through the museum? I am most proud of the fact that it is still going (laughs) 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 and and getting stronger. Uh, As much as I've uh, moved and, you know, navigated my way through the art world and galleries and museums and stuff, I've never worked in a gallery museum. I've certainly never started a museum from scratch uh, before. And so, you know, there have been a lot of really challenging lessons to learn along the along the way. But I feel super, super proud and amazed by our board of directors. We've been a completely volunteer-based organization since we since we started. Um, we just hired our first full-time employee who's our director, Stephanie Brown. She's our we call her the village chief of uh, Adama. Um, and uh, she's our first uh, paid employee, but everything else has been volunteer. And so, you know, I'm really, really proud of the efforts of all of the, um, you know, people who uh, have become board members and, you know, really stepped up to bring their expertise and, you know, to help me probe these questions, you know, about what Adama is and can be. Well, in thinking about like what Adama is and can be, could you talk about like, where you see Adama going, like in the future, or something that, you, like an uh, an aspect of Adama you're especially excited about looking forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that has really been a kind of guiding premise is to reimagine what a museum is in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, we we saw this most recently in the sort of racial reckoning that happened in um, 2020, where a number of institutions. Uh, were surprised to discover that Black people were oppressed (laughs) Uh, and, you know, began scrambling and trying to figure out how to adjust their programming and their offerings to accommodate, you know, this community of people who've been here since the beginning. Um, And one of the things that became more and more apparent to me um, in in those moments is the, the realization and the recognition that these systems aren't necessarily broken. They just were never written with us in mind, right? Um, And so as we have been building and shaping and interrogating uh, who and what Adama will be, that has been one of our major questions. It's like, how do we reframe what a museum is, particularly one that centers the African diaspora experience? We can't replicate a Eurocentric model of a museum because that does not reflect who we are at our core. One of our main sort of directives is this notion of call and response, which is a very African-centered idea. So like we think about that in terms of how we're building this institution. It's a call and response that is at the core of our philosophy and our, our principles, rather than starting with some collection, say, of moist towelettes and telling people that <laughs> this is important and we want you to you know, see this and experience this, we start with a different set of questions. Like, what's important to you, our community, 
And how can we give that to you? How can we serve you? Everything, and again, everything about how we are centering and building our institution is really rooted in these African-centered philosophies and ideas that are, are, are built on notions of community, collaboration, engagement, flexibility, improvisation, those kinds of practices, which are, again, very, very African-centered philosophies and ideas. And I, th- I think this has been a part of the challenge, right? It's like, if we were to replicate the models that exist, it might be easy to just kind of fill in the blanks, you know, mm-hmm. color it to our, you know, our hue, right? But rather than doing that, we have decided to throw out that entire model and, you know, really begin to like interrogate from the ground up, like, what does this look like? And how can this serve this community? You know, just hearing about restructuring something, not using old models. I'm reminded of like Adama's core pillars. And one of the core pillars y'all have is learning and mm-hmm. how you kind of use learning as opposed to education. Education, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think about like, you know, when you hear learning or when I hear learning, I should say, I also think about like unlearning, you know, because if you're trying mm-hmm. to learn how to learn how to unlearn, kind of. Um, and so anyway, mm-hmm. that was just super interesting to me. And I was wondering, is there anything that you've done with Adama so far where you feel like that's a good example of using call and response or some other element from the diaspora where we kind of reimagined something centering Blackness? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one of uh, the uh, experiences that we've created, and that's another thing that we have, are, have been very conscious of, the language that we use to describe what we do. And so we don't call our, our presentations, exhibitions, or things like that. We call them experiences because we want them to be, you know, fully immersive, multi-sensory kinds of experiences that that people have, which is, again, indicative of the ways in which Black people process and use art, right? But one of the projects that we've done is called Permanent Project, which literally is this idea of taking art off the wall and activating it, animating it, like bringing it to life in a way that allows people to have a different relationship to traditional art objects, right? So one of the first ones that, uh, the first couple of ones that we did, we worked with the High Museum of Art and we go into their permanent collection of works by African and African-American artists. Uh, We select a piece and then we create an interdisciplinary response to it through original music, choreography, and it ultimately culminates in a short film that reimagines for example, the first one we did was with a painting by Radcliffe Bailey called EWSN. That painting is an abstract interpretation of migration and movement and reconnecting and building community. And so we partnered with our collaborator with Permanent is Kamatse Dance Theater. Um, and their uh, director, Rayana Brown, is an amazing choreographer, uh, came up with these movements that are inspired by the movement in the painting. Um, the original music was done by Orchestra Noir, which is, uh, um, all black, uh, orchestra outfit under the direction of Jason Rogers. Uh, you know, in Radcliffe's painting, he actually had these little cutouts of like music notes and things throughout the painting. And so Jason actually pulled those phrases out of the painting and built a composition, um, around that. So the music is actually referenced. Um, the actual painting. Uh, and then we did a live performance um, with the dancers and the orchestra in the lobby of the High Museum uh, and then created this film. Now you can, the idea is that we can present this film alongside the painting or separate from the painting. But when 
when our audience goes and now looks at this painting in the museum, they have a different relationship to it, right? Um, and this is again about uh, relanguaging art for our community. Oftentimes, um, particularly when it comes to things like abstract art, is is presented as being super heady. Um, super cerebral, super ac academic. And what we are approaching, what we're broaching with uh, permanent is, again, relanguaging this art to make it more accessible to uh, to the Black community. Like, maybe you understand this movement and dance that allows you to connect to this painting a little bit more. Maybe hearing this painting through music allows you to connect to this painting more. And now you have a different relationship to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, this is a, a really, really sort of key tenet of what we're attempting to do with Adama is make art and culture more accessible to our community than it has traditionally been presented. We'll be right back with more ridiculous news after this short break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. You are now tuned in to Ridiculous News. So we're back, continuing to talk about uh, museums with our amazing guest, Dr. Pamu. And we wanted to start out with some just kind of like fun questions from you. And so we know that hip hop is a big part of the work and the art that you do. And so we've just got a couple questions surrounding hip hop music for you. Uh, do you have a favorite hip hop album as well as is there like a favorite guilty pleasure hip hop album that you enjoy listening to? Man, you you would hit me with like a thunderbolt of a question. Man. Um, uh, man, it's so hard to pinpoint one particular album that's like a favorite. Like I, I just really absolutely love everything about hip hop, right? Like it's it's my voice, you know. Um, if I had to name one, I'll name five. That's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, five is great. Five is, yeah, we, I feel like they always shift. Yeah, yeah, we were. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about ones that that sort of uh, bookmark, you know, 
periods of my life, right? So like Brand Nubian's Awful One is one of the first that comes to mind. It was probably the, not even was probably, it was the first rap album that I ever purchased with my own money. Um, and uh, I listened to it. I listened to that tape until I, till it popped. Um, I know, I still to this day, I know every word on that album. Uh, Return to the 36 Chambers, Wu-Tang Clan, anything by Outkast. Goody Mob Soul Food was a major, major uh, album in my life. Uh, and in fact, I, I, I often credit that album with helping me uh, define and discover my aesthetic as a visual artist. Mm. That album was was clutch. Yeah, can can you expand on that some? Because like the fo- a follow up yeah. question we we're going to ask was like how hip hop influences your work. So so hearing that about that album, can you kind of talk more about h- how that impacted you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so bear with me because it's a, a bit of a rambling story. No, it's um, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when I um, uh, first moved to Atlanta uh, to go to college, I went to the Atlanta College of Art. Um, and I grew up, you know, drawing and, you know, making art as much as I could. But I'd never been in a gallery or museum. I knew I wanted to be an artist, but I didn't really know what that meant. You know what I mean? Uh, I ended up, uh, at, like I said, at Atlanta College of Art, very first day of class, very first class. Walked into the room and uh, uh, my then professor, the late uh, Larry Anderson, wrote on the board, what is art? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I did not have a way to respond to that. And I remember other people in class like throwing out what they thought it was and none of the things that they said felt sufficient, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember that that question just kind of stayed with me throughout my undergrad career like a cartoon cloud that's like constantly raining on you um and when i was a junior uh uh in college um one day i was walking by this construction site and i found this box i guess they use it like a mold to like make cement or something like that so it's a little kind of ratty looking box but it has some interesting textures and stuff to it um and i took it home and i just put it in the corner of my room uh, as fate would have it, uh, I got the Soul Food album, popped it into the CD player and, you know, started playing and I'm just grooving, you know, listening, like taking it all in. And I just start, my hands just start moving. I just start making, right? Um, in particular, there's a song on that album called uh, Guess Who, um, where each one of the dudes talks about um, the impact that their mother's love had on them and how their mother has, you know, saved their lives, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, I lost my own mom when I was four years old. And so I I had that song on repeat for I don't know how long. But while it was on, I was just like making in that box that I found, I end up transforming it into what was referred to as an inkisi, which is a, um, a fetish figure from the Congo. Typically, you see them and they have like nails driven all through them and stuff like that. Um, and it's this, uh, uh, figure that is designed to like provide spiritual protection and guidance and, you know, things like that. Um, and I made my own version of an Inkisi, but in homage to my mother, inspired by listening to the Goody Mob song, right? Because, you know, while I didn't have my mom in my life growing up, I always felt her hands. You know what I mean? I always mm-hmm. felt her presence, like in, in, in everything that I did, even, 
you know, moments where I was about to do something really stupid, you know, mm-hmm. somebody would come along and say something and it would just remind me like, oh, you're not supposed to be doing that, you know? Anyway, yeah. uh, I made this piece uh, inspired by that song. Uh, and it sat in the corner of my room for a while. And anytime people would come by my dorm, they would see that piece and they'd be really moved by it and really drawn to it. And like, what is that about? What, what you know? Uh, and mind you, at this time, I'd never really told anybody, you know, uh, the story of how I lost my mom and stuff like that. Like, I just never talked about it. Um, but anyway, that that piece sent me down a rabbit hole. Um, uh, you know, I began to... Um, uh, work on my senior thesis exhibition and I, I centered the entire thing on the night that my mom was killed in our Brooklyn apartment. Um, and people kept asking me why I was doing it and, you know, um, uh, and I didn't really have an answer for it, but I finally finished all of the work. I, uh, installed it in the gallery for my show and, you know, it opened and it was like a huge hit. Like people came from all over and, the night of the opening, there were several people like watch, looking at the work and you know studying the work, and you could see them become visually and emotionally like moved by what they were you know experiencing. Uh, people would come up to me and say things like, "Hey, man, you know, I I had an argument with my brother 17 years ago, and we haven't spoken since then, but your work makes me want to reach out to him and mend that, you know." Or mm. I was abused as a child, and your work gives me the confidence to to talk about that, and you know, and it was in that moment that I finally had an answer to that question that, that, you know, Professor Anderson had asked on that first day, however many years prior, you know, it was like, this is art. This is what I want to do. I want to make art that moves people and can heal people and help people in the same way that that Goody Mob song impacted me. I want my work to have that same soul food effect on people when they, when they see it and they experience it. And so, yeah, that, uh, that's how, uh, why, how, and why I credit Goody Mob with, with helping me find my voice. That's so inspiring. Thank you. That's really touching. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think that touches on just the healing powers of art and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, you know, being able to use your creativity to help heal yourself and others mm-hmm. is so powerful. And, you know, what would you say? I'm, I'm curious too, because I'm always trying to encourage our listeners to engage their own creativity um, because hearing from someone like you is this prolific artist, you know, who does all of this amazing work um, for someone who's starting out or trying to, you know, painting with watercolor or just drawing or, you know, playing a guitar for the first time. What would you say to someone who's um, in, in your own life, what have you done to kind of push back that self-judgment or like, oh, I'm not good enough or, you know, why should I create something or that's already been created? Mm-hmm. Um, how would you encourage those folks? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you asked that. It just kind of brings us back to some of the things we were talking about with the Dhamma as well um, and thinking about how a museum serves, right? Like one of the things that's always been really fascinating to me has been the realization that what we call art, what we know of as art, is a relatively modern and certainly European conceit, right? Um, while our indigenous cultures and ancestors, you know, produced aesthetically pleasing things, they didn't think of it as quote unquote art, right? Um, it always had a function. It did something. It, it, prov- it you know, it provided 
some kind of something, right? Um, the the beautification of it, the aesthetic part of it was really almost like uh, a flex, like, you know, for God, like, let me, you know, add this embellishment here. Let me put this color on it here, you know, as a way of like, you know, paying homage to something higher than myself, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I, as much as, you know, I'm, I, I'm aware of the fact that I'm living in and participating in capitalist society and creating art that sustains and feeds me and my family and stuff like that. I always think first and foremost about what this art is doing. What does this do? Right. Even if it's just for me, what does this do? It should serve some purpose. Like I, 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 I cannot just make pretty pictures. Right. Um, like that, that, that does not do anything for me, but like, how does this art, you know, connect to the world? Um, how does this, uh, impact the world? Like, what is this function? Right. Um, I never forget one of my, um, uh, professors when I was in school, Dr. Arturo Lindsay, um, who's, you know, to this day, one of my, uh, biggest supporters and mentors. Um, I, I was taking a painting class with him at Spelman and, uh, you know, he was kind of surprised at first that I came from Atlanta College of Art to come to Spelman to take a painting class. Like, what are you doing over here? Um, and uh, I remember at one point him flipping through my sketchbooks and he was like, yeah, you got talent. Yeah, you can you can draw. But what are you trying to say? What are you thinking about? Right. And that's always stuck with me, you know, Um and so that's the thing that I also say to a lot of young artists, like when young artists come to me and they show me their portfolios and things like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah. You know, just really great. Yeah, you could draw SpongeBob, you know, you can draw <laughs> cartoon characters, you could do graffiti, you know what I mean? You, this painting is really beautiful. But what are you thinking about? What are you trying to say with this? Right. Because it doesn't matter what it looks like. Right. And, and, you know, truth be told, we can look at a lot of art that doesn't, Look, I said, look at the Mona Lisa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not necessarily visually striking, but it does something, right? Mm -hmm. It impacts, it affects people in a really um, uh, um, potent way. Like, what does it do? What are you thinking? So, yeah, that's 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 my thing. So, uh, you know, think about what it is that you're trying to say. Because art is, that's what all art is, is a language. It's just language. I love that. Uh, thank you so much. Dr. Bahamu, and I think that this is a great uh, time to wrap things up. Um, before we leave, um, we'd just love to know uh, for our listeners, what's the best way for them to find you, follow you, and support you? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you can definitely find Adama on Instagram at Adama underscore ATL. And uh, our website is adamatl.org, A-D-A-M-A-T-L.org. We would really, really love if you would log on. There's multiple ways for you to support Adama's um, programs and initiatives. You can find all of that on our website. Uh, and then me personally, I'm at fahamupakuart.com, F-A-H-A-M-U-P-E-C-O-U-A-R-T.com. And I'm on Instagram at fahamupaku, as well as at Studio Kawo, K-A-W-O. Awesome. Uh, well, again, thank you so much for 
uh, joining us today. You know, it really was inspiring. And we like to wrap things up with what we call our spring of inspiring inspirations, where we share a quote to send our listeners off on a positive note. And I had a quote selected, but honestly, from listening to your story, I want to just take a quote that you just gave us a few minutes ago and uh, approximating it. So excuse me for any errors, but uh, what you said saying, I want to make art that moves people, that can heal people, it can help people. I think that that is just like a really great thing to hold on to and to aspire to. Uh, and so thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Palmer. Really uh, thank it. you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And as always, um, thanks to our listeners. We know you have a lot of options out there. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. It means a lot to us. Thank you. Yeah, and you can stay in touch with us by emailing us at ridiculousnews at iheartmedia.com and on Facebook and IG, follow Ridiculous News and you can check out our comedy videos at Mark Kendall Comedy. Thanks so much, y'all. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Ridiculous News is hosted by Mark Kendall and Bill Worley. Executive producers are Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Produced and edited by Tari Harrison. Research provided by Casey Willis. And theme music by Four Eyes and Dr. Delight. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.